I wanted to start by, by talking about blank checks. Uh, anyone ever get a blank check written out to them? Just curious. I don't know. Okay. There was a, when I was a kid, there was a movie that was released called Blank Check where uh, this guy uh, runs over this kid's bike and writes him a blank check and says, fill it out for whatever you want. And the kid fills it out. I, I remember this very vividly. He, he fills it out. One million dollars. And the amount of stuff that he was able to get with that million dollars, like the movie just wouldn't translate today. You know, like, I mean, he just, like, bought a house and bought a car and bought, like, I mean, on and on it went. And we're like, man, I can't even get five cheeseburgers for a million dollars these days. Um, but uh, here's, here's more of what I'm thinking about. And uh, I kind of got a blank check uh, when I was in college. I was uh, in my second to last uh, uh, quarter at UC Davis, and I was uh, finishing up my math degree, and in that quarter, I had to take the two hardest math classes that UC Davis had to offer in the same quarter. And um, neither of them were available. This was winter quarter. Neither of them were available spring quarter. So I had to pass both of these two classes, or I was going to be stuck there another year or at least another semester. And I'm being very vulnerable because my parents are sitting right here. Um, and... Uh, I wasn't doing well in those classes. Uh, the, the subject matter was just so difficult, and neither of them were, like, blending into the other. So there were two different things, and I was having a hard time, like, keeping up with everything. And one of the cool things is uh, I had the same professor for both classes. So I, I made one appointment with him and went into his office and said, Look, I realize I'm not doing well in these classes. I need to pass both of these to be able to graduate. And I'm working really hard. Can you help me, like, figure this out or learn the subject material? And he basically hands me a blank check. He says, look, anyone that works hard in my classes, I pass. You know, as long as you're working hard, and I know that you're working hard at it. As long as you're working hard, you pass. And, like, this relief came over me, but I walked out of that office going, well, now all I have to do is make it look like I'm working hard, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and then I passed. <laughs> he he kind of gave me this blank check, right? Like, hey, as long as you're working hard, you pass. And, oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> here's why I bring this up. Uh, because many could view coming to Christ, if you need a minute, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and I did work hard the rest of the, I, I guess I should say that. That I did put in effort. I didn't just, you know, kind of take the blank check. But, like, I actually worked hard and, and did my best. And I couldn't tell you a thing that I learned in either of those classes today. Um, but, I, but I passed, both of them. Uh, and, I, and I did get my diploma and, and finish. Um, Many could view coming to Christ as a blank check for grace. So they can do whatever they want. And, and many do. And where I wanted to start this morning, even though we're in a series in Second Peter, is in the book of Romans. So if you've got uh, your Bible, open up to Romans. If you don't, 
have uh, your Bible with you. There's one sitting in the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take this home. Uh, we would love to put God's Word in your hands and love for you to have it. Uh, so if you are pulling out this Bible, uh, we're on page 807. And if you're not, you know, I, I don't know what page you're on, um, but uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, that was Adam, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's Jesus. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, great grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul's writing this, and he anticipates what a lot of people are thinking. Okay, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. More sin needs more grace to cover it, right? And if the grace of God is a good thing, then maybe I should sin a lot more, and get more of God's grace. But he answers this question right in the next sentence. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. So, all that to say that coming to Christ should be transformational. It should radically change who you are. Radically change who you are. I've, being a youth pastor and, and working with students, the, the topic of uh, assurance of salvation comes up often. Okay, well, let's create this scenario. So this guy comes to Christ, and then this and this and this happens, and then he does this. Well, is he, is he saved? You know, or, or this and this happens, and then he gets hit by a car. Well, is, does he go to heaven? You know, and there's, there's constantly these questions that roll around. You know, but the main, the main idea is, what if someone comes to Christ, but then lives for themselves? Well, I really see that as there's, there's two possibilities that are going on there. Either, number one, they have, as it says in Revelation chapter 2, they have forgotten their first love. And uh, have wandered away from the faith and are needing God's grace to draw them back to him. And that's very possible. But the other option is that they're simply trying to get their ticket into heaven. They're trying to get their blank check, and they never truly make Christ Lord of their life. And so they're accepting Christ and accepting this grace simply to, you know, say, great, you know, that's all taken care of, and now I can go back and live the way that I want to. So today we're going to take a look 
at what it means to walk in newness of life as Paul says here in verse 4. Or as we just sang, to change from the inside out. So will you flip with me over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And that's 875 if you're in this Bible here. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 5. Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we ask that as we dive into this passage, God, that you would open our eyes, open our minds, and most importantly, open our hearts to what you have for us. God, we want to hear what you have to say. We want to be listening to you. We want to be dialed into you. God, get me out of the way. Remove me from the equation so that people are hearing your words. And God, that as they walk out of here, that their hearts are singing no other name but Jesus. Because it's all about you and it's all for you. So God, this morning is yours. We take our week and we just lay it at your feet. And we just surrender ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So let's uh, dive in. I've got a spot for you to jot little notes and things, what have you. Um, All the blanks are filled in this morning. Um, But you can scribble along as you like or do an awesome drawing, whatever it may be. Um, but I wanted to start and uh, take a look at uh, verse 5 to begin with. So he starts out by saying, for this very reason. That should make you say, well, for what very reason? Right? You know, for this very reason. Well, for what very reason? For that, we have to go back and look at the previous statement. So let's go back to verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's a long compound on and on sentence, but there's a lot of things that are said here. For what reason? For what reason? Well, we're told that we're called to His own glory and excellence. We're told that we're partakers of the divine nature. We're told that uh, we have escaped corruption due to sinful desire. 
In other words, we've been granted newness of life. We've been saved. Uh, We've been rescued. God has stepped in and saved us. And that's what Peter is reminding us of in verses 3 and 4. Now, just a quick side note, just to be clear as we're going through, who gets the credit here? Who gets the credit for um, us uh, being called to his own glory and excellence, being partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption due to sinful desire? Who gets the credit? Well, look, his divine power has granted us all things. It is him who called us. He has granted to us. The credit continually goes to God and not us. And that's so important. And I know uh, I say that often, and Dave talks about that often, but the credit continually has to go to God for saving us and not ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 reminds us of that. By grace you have been saved. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's God that does the work. It's God that saves us. It's God that draws us to himself, not us. So we don't get any of the credit. And that's important, especially with what we're going through this morning. But he starts out by saying, for this very reason, pointing back to the fact, hey, you have been saved because of God's work. So for this very reason, because you have been saved, because God has rescued you, because God has brought you out of darkness and into a relationship with Him, because of that, make every effort, he says. We need to work. We need to work. Uh, James 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. Faith, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, 2 Peter was one of the later books written in the New Testament. So James had been written well before this and was circulating around through the churches. And so uh, Peter knew what James had written. Peter already knew and uh, was probably very familiar with it as well. But what uh, what this points back to is the whole idea of the blank check. And, and James, when he's writing and saying this, is saying, look, you know, it, it isn't a blank check of, gr- of grace that you get this and now you get to go and live whatever way you want. And by the way, we're going to keep feeding you more grace, more grace, more grace, more grace. Here you go, here you go. Now, does God continually give us grace when we mess up? Everybody say yes. Yes, absolutely he does. Right? But we are supposed to be putting in effort. Now, here's where I want to make a very uh, important clarification. I'm going to throw two churchy words at you. Uh, Many of you know what they are, but uh, we'll talk through both of them. Uh, Justification and sanctification. And that's really what Peter's getting at in this passage. Uh, Justification. Justification is one and done. It's when you are declared righteous, when you are justified before God. When God says, look, your sins are covered. When you come to Him, and as Paul says in Romans 10, you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you are saved. Period. Done. End of sentence. You are now justified. 
You, before that, you were not justified. Now you are justified before God. And you don't need to be re-justified. Justified is a one-time deal and you are done. Justification, one, done. Sanctification is an entirely different process. And it is a process. Sanctification is simply being made holy. Um, Louis Burkhoff, in his systematic theology, I love this, he calls sanctification a work of God in which believers cooperate. So again, the credit goes back to God. It's a work of God in which believers cooperate. So this is God drawing us closer to himself, making us more like him, and it's a process that happens over time. Again, let me be clear. Sanctification doesn't save you. Justification saves you. Justification is come and surrendering yourself and saying, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. One and done. Sanctification is a response. And it requires work. Just like in my math class where I was told, look, everyone that works hard passes. I, would, I knew I was going to pass, but I needed to put in the effort. I needed to put in the work. Now, this is a very careful balancing act because you need both justification and sanctification. If you lean towards justification, you're hanging on to the blank check. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm justified, I'm justified, I'm justified. Yeah, that work, okay, yeah, sure. But I'm justified, right? I've got grace, I've got grace. But if you lean towards sanctification, and like, I gotta do this work, I gotta do this work, I gotta become more holy, I gotta work at this, I gotta work at this, I gotta grow in this. What can very easily happen is that you start putting the weight on your shoulders and forgetting how inadequate we are. Because we can't sanctify ourselves. And so we need to find a balance between the two. But Peter does say, make every effort. And so I wanted to take some time and just unpack that a little bit. Then he says, to supplement your faith. Because the base of this is faith. That's where it starts. It starts with being justified. It starts with having that faith. And everything else is there to build on it, to make it better. Again, none of these things that we're going to talk about, that, that, that Peter lists off, none of these things save you. Your faith saves you. And these things are simply a response to what God has done for us. That we're called, that we're partakers, that we've escaped corruption, as we're told in verses 3 and 4. Now, as I was uh, studying this passage, uh, this word supplement, and if you know Greek, I, I might butcher it, so be patient with me. But uh, epikorego is the word used for supplement. And what it's referring to uh, is um, in Athenian drama festivals, the koregos would uh, supplement the poet and the state in putting on plays. So um, they would have these big festivals and um, these koregos would, would come and, and finance the choruses for these, for these plays. 
And though it was a ton of money and super expensive, this was a, a position that people vied for because it, it garnered them uh, respect and, and stuff like that. So there's an, there's an attitude in this word of supplementing of both generosity and, uh, and it being costly. So supplementing your faith, yes, it's, it's wonderful and fantastic, but it's also costly. So I loved, you know, learning a little bit more about that. But um, what we have uh, coming up in these next verses, in verses 5, 6, and 7, is this list. And uh, this was a common uh, just method of writing that was used throughout the New Testament. If you go throughout the New Testament, you'll see over and over again different lists. Lists of virtues, uh, lists of good qualities to have, lists of uh, vices, um, and so this wasn't, this wasn't a new practice, and so Peter's here writing this list. But, you know, i got to say, you know, as lists can often be daunting and difficult. But what gives life to attacking a list? Purpose. Maybe you're staring at a filthy room in your house, and it looks like a daunting task until you're clearing it out for the new baby coming or for your friend that's having a hard time and needs a place to stay. Maybe getting that grocery list checked off can be daunting until you remember you'll be handing someone else the keys to their house. Or, nope, I'm sorry, wrong one. (laughs) I'm coming to that one. Getting the grocery list checked off can look daunting uh, until you're shopping for the meal that you're going to feed to the homeless next week. And where I was going was uh, seeing an empty slab and a big pile of lumber can look daunting until you remember you'll be handing someone the keys to their house in three days. For me, looking at the syllabus for my Hebrew class was daunting until we were sitting in class reading scripture together in its original Hebrew. That gave me purpose and gave me passion for what I was doing. So as we look at this list that, that Peter gives us in verses 5 through 7, what I wanted to do was start with the purpose that he gives us. And then this will hopefully give you the fuel that you need to, as he says, make every effort. So with that, we're going to zip on over uh, to verses 8 and 9 in Second Peter 1. At the very end of 9, or excuse me, at the very end of 8, he gives us this goal. What's the goal? He says, the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the goal. Now, knowledge is used a bunch of times in this passage. It's used uh, in verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Uh, In verse 3, it's used again. Through the knowledge of him who called us. Uh, In verse 5, it's used virtue with knowledge. Verse 6, knowledge with self-control. And here again in verse 8, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what we have is we have two different Greek words being used. We have gnosis and epignosis. And gnosis uh, is, is basic knowledge. But what epignosis is, is deeper and more thorough knowledge. It's like you could almost put the word full 
in front of knowledge when the word epignosis is used. Full knowledge. So, completing knowledge. And epignosis is used in verses 2, 3, and 8. So, see the difference here. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the full knowledge of Him. And in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our purpose. That's what we're, we're told that we're driving towards. That's our goal is the full knowledge, the thorough understanding of who God is. And what, he, uh, what Peter then gives us is he kind of gives us the negative. If you don't do that, then you won't have this. So I, I'm turning it and giving you the positive. But what he says is, when you're growing in these, it makes you effective. When, it's, when you're ineffective, you're unable to cause or affect change. But growing in these makes you effective. Makes you able to be closer to Jesus. Makes you be able for your non-Christian friends and family members to see Jesus in you. Growing in these, it also makes you fruitful, we're told. In verse 8. I want to see... I want people to see change in my life. I want to help other believers grow. I need to be fruitful to be able to do that. And he says, looking at verse 9, that growing in these makes you focused. I want to have direction and purpose in my life. I want to have an eternal perspective, remembering that this is not my home. I want to be effective. But see, the opposite side, not having these... Or not growing in these, these different qualities makes you ineffective, makes you unfruitful, makes you lose focus. And as we're told in verse 9, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, makes you forget what Jesus did for you. If you don't have these qualities and you aren't growing in them, it will make you forget what Jesus did for you. And that's a daunting, that's a, that's a scary thing. And so this is, the, this is the purpose that we're given. This is what we're, we're driving for. This is the why of why we're pursuing these virtues. So that we don't forget. So that uh, we don't lose focus. So that we're not ineffective. So that we're not unfruitful. So that we are fruitful. So that we are able to be effective. I love this image. I love looking at this light bulb and just seeing, man, it's plugged in. It's on. It's doing something. It's providing light. These other six light bulbs are useless. They're sitting there and doing nothing. I want to be the light bulb that's plugged in. I want to be effective. Well, let's take a look at this list, this list of qualities. Uh, Quick quiz. Will doing these things save you? Everybody say no. No, right? Doing these things will not save you. 
what I wanted to do is, as we went through this lift, I list, I wanted to leave that image in the background. I know it might make things a little hard to read, but I wanted to remember our purpose, why we would want to do these things, why we would want to run after these things, and just be reminded of that. Now, this list isn't necessarily in a strict order, but uh, they do build on one another, and you'll see that as we get into these and kind of walk through them. So here we go. We're starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So virtue is the first one. Virtue can also be translated goodness or excellence. This same uh, Greek word is used in verse 3 to describe Jesus. Look, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That word right there, that word excellence, is the same Greek word that's used down here in verse 5 for virtue. Same Greek word. So the, the significance I see right there is that we're being called to be more like Christ. Christ is described as excellent, and we're told to pursue virtue or excellence, the very same characteristic that Christ was just described as. So Peter's saying, hey, pursue Christ. Become more like Christ. Well, how do you become more like Christ? Well, first, you need knowledge. Again, uh, this is a more basic, generic knowledge, uh, seeking to know, inquiry, investigation. But we should be pursuing more of Christ. Now, Many of you went on Date Night Plus on Friday. Uh, thanks for showing up. It was awesome. It was great. Um, I got to go out with Laura, which was fantastic. Um, a, a, a nice treat. Uh, but think back to when you were first getting to know your spouse. Pre-marriage. Uh, maybe even pre-dating. Man, you were hungry for knowledge. I want to find out more about this person. I want to find out more about who they are. What makes them tick? What do they like? What do they don't like? Ooh, they don't like this. I better throw all of those away. Or they do like this. Man, I got to go and get into this. You know, Laura Laura was really big into scrapbooking. I learned a lot about scrapbooking. Now, I'm still horrible at it, but I learned a lot about it. (laughs) Because I wanted to know what she knew, and I wanted to learn more about her and, and, and soak in her. I was hungry for knowledge. And so in the same way, if we're wanting to become more like Christ, we need knowledge of who he is, of what his will is for us. And as we learn more of what his will is for us, we will need self-control to live it out. Now, self-control is acting on the knowledge that we have gained. Okay, so you see they're, they're kind of building on on each other. Now, I wanted to be clear that there is a stark difference between worldly self-control and Christian self-control. And the difference is who we're relying on. Worldly self-control relies on the whole self. It is all up to me. It is all up to me to kick this habit. It's all up to me to do this. It's all up to me to get that good grade. It's all up to me to do the work. Self-control is all about me. 
But Christian self-control relies on allowing the Spirit within to have control, to listen to His way and not yours. Just like we sang, Lord, I give you control. So instead of thinking about it as the control to not do things, it's rather the control to listen to the Spirit's prompting to do the right things. Self-control. And the more self-control we have, we develop steadfastness. Steadfastness can also be translated as perseverance or endurance. This is the same word that's used in James 1, 3 through 4, where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or steadfastness. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James is telling us that the more steadfastness, the more perseverance, the more endurance we have, the more we develop godliness. And godliness is consistently doing things that are pleasing to God. It's having a reverence towards God and a respect towards men. Now next in the list we have Brotherly affection. Well, now, how does godliness connect to brotherly affection? The connector is uh, 1 John 4.20, where it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So how can you say you love God and not love your brother? your brothers and sisters in Christ, brotherly affection. Here's what this means. This means bearing each other's burdens. This means encouraging one another. This means being kind and compassionate to one another. This means forgiving one another. This means serving one another, washing one another's feet, being devoted to one another, being hospitable to one another, accepting one another, not envying one another, confessing your sins to one another teaching and admonishing one another, praying for one another. This is what brotherly affection is. And of course, brotherly affection should lead to love. Now this is, as many of you are familiar with, agape or unconditional love. As we're talking through in our uh, middle school and high school group right now, we're talking through a series on deeper love. And we talked about these different kinds of love that, uh, the, the Greek, in the Greek there's four different words for love. And we made, uh, we made a point of clarifying what agape love is, how it's unconditional, and, and how we're called to love, agape love, the same way that, that Christ loved us. And uh, he, he gives us in um, John chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Love in the same way that I have loved. That's what we're called to. That's the standard that we're supposed to reach. Now, I love this in uh, the Tyndale commentary. Here's what it said. This word agape is one which Christians, to all intents and purposes, coined to denote the attitude which God had shown himself to have to us. 
and requires from us towards himself. In friendship, uh, philia, which is another kind of Greek love, the partners seek mutual solace. In sexual love, eros, mutual satisfaction. In both cases, these feelings are aroused because of what the loved one is. Okay? These feelings are aroused because of what the loved one is. With agape, it is the reverse. God's agape is evoked not by what we are, but by what he is. It has its origin in the agent, not in the object. It is not that we are lovable, but that he is love. That's what's meant here. So for us to grow in love, we must seek to become more like God. To love as he loves. And this is challenging. To love not because of how lovable someone is, but rather because God's love is flowing through us. But that's what we're called to do. So here's your walk away. Here's your to-do list. First, work. Don't stop growing in these qualities. What I would uh, challenge you to do is to go back and circle as many of them as you need to, but I, I would suggest two to focus on and pour concerted effort into. In reality, we all need to grow in every single one of these, and we won't be done until we get to heaven. But in the meantime, maybe there's one or two of these qualities on this list that, that God's saying, hey, you need to work on this a little bit more. Will you focus on this a little bit more for me? And then share what you've circled with your spouse, with a close friend, with a mentor, with your community group. And make some steps to grow in this area. How are you going to move forward? Maybe buy a book, find a reading plan, listen to a sermon or podcast. Put yourself in situations where you'll need this quality. Hang out with your kids more. (laughs) Set yourself up for success in growing. But the second to do is, I think, key, and that's to remember. Remember two things. First of all, remember that this is God's work. So give him credit for any movement or growth and involve him every step of the way. Pray as you're pursuing these qualities. It's God's work, not yours, not mine. We don't get any credit for moving forward in these at all. But secondly, remember your purpose. Remember your purpose. If I'm not growing in these qualities, if I'm not pursuing these, if I'm not trying to become more like Christ, if I'm not trying to have more brotherly love, if I'm not uh, pursuing these, How can I grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus? If I'm not pursuing these, how can I teach them to others in the church? If I'm not pursuing these, how can I share with others of how Jesus has changed my life? If I'm not pursuing these, how can I be kingdom-minded? I want to be focused. 
I want to be fruitful. I want to be effective. Let's pray. Lord, um, man, sometimes it is daunting. It is daunting to look at what you've asked us to do. But it begins with a right understanding of who we are before you, that we're nothing anyways, and we need you to walk with us in this. So Lord, please walk with us. God, please work on us, and please, God, show us where we need to grow, where we have work we need to do. God, help us to become more like you. Help us to grow deeper so that we can attain a full knowledge of who you are. So that we can truly come and understand who you are. And then turn and share you with the world. God, help us to be effective. In Jesus' name.